Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. On this episode of the Behind the Mask podcast, we have a special guest, Attorney General Chris Carr. He talks about human trafficking. Last but not least, the social injustice not only going on in our nation, but right here in Georgia as we talk about the Ahmad Arbery case. Stay tuned. Let's go behind the mask. Welcome back to another edition of the Behind the Mask podcast. I am your host, Akio Spikes, joined alongside by my co-host, Tucson Reyes in the building. And two, it's always a great thing when we come together because not only do we come together to entertain each other, but we come together to educate and inform our viewers on what's going on in this current climate. And we'll go right to it. Our current guest needs no introduction, but we will do our best just to bring him on in. Attorney General Carr, thank you for joining the Behind the Mask podcast show today. How are you? Gentlemen, it is great to be on with you. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for allowing a Georgia Bulldog to come on your podcast. Listen, it, it, it pains me terribly. <laughs> no, I'm trying to change the allegiance. But you know what? It, it's okay since y'all got some of the heavy hitters out of school. So maybe we'll be able to meet you again in the SEC championship and take it on to the national championship. <laughs> Absolutely. We look forward to it. Let, just as long as we have some football this fall. I know that's right. I know that's right. We all hoping and we are all praying. So that's the reason why we're doing this episode, social distancing, and we encourage all of our viewership out there to continue doing that so we can get back to normal or somewhat normal as fast as we possibly can. But Attorney General, I we met last year and I had the opportunity to come in your office just because I was intrigued by some of the things that you were doing in particular with the sex trafficking. And what was baffling to me was um, I read an article and according to the article, the National Human Trafficking Hotline, it said in 2018, Georgia was the seventh highest number state of human trafficking cases, both sex and labor trafficking. And that was astounding to me. So you told me that you were in the initiative of creating some things and we actually came together and did a little social media push. But can you go into more detail on your stance of where you're doing and, and how you're doing to combat that? Absolutely. And, and I appreciate your interest in this issue, because when we're talking about human trafficking, Tequila, you hit the nail on the head. There's two different ways of looking at it. One is what we call domestic minor sex trafficking and the other is labor trafficking and, and each of which are uh you know, horrific acts and can can lead to just some, uh, you know, awful outcomes for human beings being bought and sold at the end of the day. Our office, as you and I talked about, is focused on domestic minor sex trafficking. Now, what is that? That is the buying and selling of children for sex. And the average age of a victim of sex trafficking is a 12 to 14 year old girl. Now, it's not just girls. It's boys. It can be tra transgender children as well. But that's the average age. The average victim is a 12 to 14 year old girl. And you and I talked about it. We both have daughters. This issue hits home to both of us because I cannot imagine adults doing to children what they do. And, and that's why this issue has become so important to us. 
And so there's a couple different ways we've addressed it. One is education, get the word out, partner with folks like you and nonprofits like Wellspring Living, Out of Darkness, Street Grace and others that are focused on educating, making sure that we go after and educate uh, those on, uh, on, on who are, are truly victimizing our children. The second thing is that we need to rehabilitate those girls, those children, those boys that are being victimized. Because when you're 12 to 14 years old, that's sixth to the eighth grade. And that's a pretty uh, sensitive time in folks' lives and children's lives as they're developing and they're growing and making sure that they have the skills. And oftentimes some of the things that have happened are horrific and they need wraparound skills to really help get them through it. Uh, and then at the end of the day, you got to go after those that are buying and selling children for sex. And so I want to thank Governor Brian Kemp and our legislature, because last year we put a major push through to uh, get a human trafficking prosecutions unit at, in our office at the Georgia Department of Law. So last July, with the governor and first lady support legislature, uh, we stood up that unit. So we now have six individuals, two lawyers an investigator, an analyst, a victim's advocate, because it's really important. Again, you have some young children uh, that have had some tra traumatic experiences to make sure that you can uh, treat them appropriately and not re-traumatize them. But those individuals are true professionals and they're, every single day we are going after those who are buying and selling children for sex and then also rescuing those victims, which is critically important. It's quite shocking because when you look at Atlanta, um, I think every Georgian or even Atlantan, they would agree, well, we look at this as an international city just because mm -hmm. it's a melting pot of so many people. But on the outside looking in, a lot of people don't look at it that way. And so when you look at the statistics and you see that, why is Atlanta such a hot spot for sex trafficking and all the things well, of that nature? Well, that, and that's a great question. Here's the problem we have, too, Takiyo, as you know, doing a little bit of research on this as well. It's hard to actually get good data on what the numbers are. Uh, you, you know, localities keep different numbers. States keep different numbers to varying degrees. The federal government uh, doesn't keep uh, the records maybe that we need in a complete fashion as well. So we all we're trying to piece together the information. We don't know where Atlanta falls. We know it's an issue for us. We know it's an issue for, for a number of different cities, not just in the United States, but globally. But here's what I do know. We as a state have made it the priority, priority to be the number one state in the nation to go after human trafficking and eradicate human trafficking. But the reason that we have the issue is, is uh, I was the former commissioner of economic development. So it was our job was to pitch the state bring business to Georgia. And there's a variety of reasons why companies come to Georgia, including our logistics network. We got great roads. We've got rail. We have Hartsfield Jackson International Airport. I mean, we are two days by rail and truck from 80% of the U.S. market and two hours by plane. Well, companies can use that for the right reasons. The companies can use that, uh, you know, to be powerhouses in their industry. But unfortunately, criminals can also use those networks to sell guns and drugs and human beings and other things. And so we are, again, located where we are. We have the infrastructure we have where we are. We shouldn't stop building roads. We shouldn't stop focusing on Hartsfield-Jackson being the best airport in the, in the world, which it is. But you do stop criminal activity. And that's where you need federal, state and local partners to get involved in these issues and partnering as we have to go after those that are doing it the wrong way. 
Attorney General Carr, you've done so much over your career and you just spoke to uh, helping Georgians with jobs, uh, making this a premier destination. Uh, I think it ranked for several years in a row, three to five years in a row, as the top place that companies want to do business. Uh, just a tremendous uh, record. But also discuss to our listeners, what is your role as attorney general, as well as some of the things that you do, your office does as it pertains to social justice. That's one of the things we want to get to, social justice. And uh, what are you guys doing to help make Georgia as equitable as possible for all people? Oh, that's a great question because not only do you need to be a great state in which to do business, meaning you have to have a good tax base, you have to have a good workforce, you have to have the infrastructure that we just talked about, but it's got to be a great place to live. And Georgia is a place, we, we've gone from the 10th largest state in the nation to the 8th largest state just in the last decade. Families want to move here. Young people want to move here. Atlanta's fantastic. It's vibrant. It's international. We've got the movie industry. We've got a great music scene all across the board. Great restaurants, you name it. So that's part of what we were doing at economic uh, development. Now, it, as a, it, uh, the attorney general's office, uh, we are the lawyers for the executive branch of state government. So any of the agencies, boards, authorities that comprise state government, we're the lawyers for them. Uh, so Department of Natural Resources, Department of Education, the governor's office, we help, we are the lawyers for the executive branch. We aren't the lawyers for cities and counties. We work closely with them. We aren't, uh, you know, the lawyers for uh, the judicial branch or the legislature, but you got to work closely with them as well. And so some of the issues that we have been focusing on are what we just talked about, human trafficking and opioid abuse and elder abuse, elder justice, cyber crimes gang activity, openness and transparency in government and economic development. Because one of the reasons that, again, companies want to be here is they know they get a fair shake. They know that we have a reliable, predictable, legal and regulatory environment. And that's part of what our office can do. But again, the quality of life issues are, are also important. You know, we are known as an, as an open and welcoming state. I mean, we have just historically done it differently than a lot of states just in general, but certainly in the southeast. You know, we have, I think, 34, 35 consulate offices. So companies or excuse me, countries from around the world have chosen to have an office in Atlanta because of business, because of our culture, because of our quality of life. And that's not to mention the honorary consuls general that we have as well. But we have a great tradition and a great history. Birthplace of the civil rights movement. Uh, and one of the areas that we've been focused on is last year we started working with a group of communities and police departments on what's called the Trust Initiative, which really acknowledges history and some of which is not uh, it, it's it, it's horrible. Some of it is is, uh, you know, stuff that you don't like to talk about, but you have to talk about. You have to be able to acknowledge history and you have to be able to bring people together to talk so that we can move forward and importantly solve problems so we don't repeat history. So I'm very proud of the work that we're doing with the Trust Initiative. You mentioned the opioid case, and, and that's one of the things that, you know, we, we don't know. People generally don't know unless somebody's affected out of your family. And you made it a point to, to bring together your crew and say, you know what, we need to attack these issues. What are some of the things that you guys have done and are doing to make sure that you get that part taken off of the street? Great question. You know, I became attorney general in November of 2016, and then human trafficking was one of the issues our office was working on, on, and I'm very grateful for the work that was done. The opioid issue was something I knew about, you know, I'd, I'd heard about, but I didn't know maybe as much as I should have. 
But once after about six months of traveling the state, I found out that it didn't matter where we were, if you were in an urban area, suburban, rural part of the state, all four corners. This is an issue that impacted everybody. It impacted families. It impacted companies. It impacted communities. You know, when I give a speech to Keo, I, I ask, I say, look, if I asked everybody in this room, do you know somebody that either themselves, their family member, your friend has an opioid addiction? And about three quarters of the room would raise your hand. So what we decided to do is one of the, the lessons I learned at economic development is no one agency has all the, the solutions to all the problems. But when you leverage the assets and the resources that we have in this state, and we got a lot of intellectual horsepower. We've got a lot of, of, of groups that are passionate about this issue. But I found out they weren't communicating. So we decided to bring together and, and build an infrastructure of communication between all the experts. So we created the statewide opioid task force, which is a little different than, you know, sometimes a task force, you get five or six people go around the state, take testimony, write a paper and nobody ever reads it. But we wanted to build that infrastructure of communication. So we wanted to open it up to all 10.5 million Georgians. Say, if you, let's talk about what each of us are doing to address the crisis how we can leverage the assets and the resources that we have. And if there's a gap, let's fill that gap. You know, my preference isn't for the government to come back in, particularly when you've got, you know, companies and universities like we have, like Emory and Morehouse School of Medicine, we've got some great uh, expertise. So how do we bring everybody to the room to address the crisis? And one of the issue areas that I know is near and dear to both of you guys is youth athletics. I mean, it, it can be the gateway to an opioid addiction, not necessarily because you get hurt, because I went to Kennesaw State and they got a great program for their students. And one of the young men that I met there played lacrosse and he didn't get hurt, but his teammate did. And his teammate had 30 pills and he got mm -hmm. the pills from his teammate. And that was the gateway into addiction. Well, Attorney General, we appreciate that because you don't hear a lot of stories like that, especially when it comes to opioids, because most of the times when you usually hear something, it's already too late. Uh, one right. of the things that I really want to uh, commend you on was when I had the opportunity, we met each other and I sat down in your office, I walked away and it wasn't so much about who's right and who's wrong. It was about what's right and what's wrong. And the thing that I appreciate is you recently came out earlier after the current climate of where we are when it comes to social injustice, not only in Georgia, but in America. And you came out on the record and you said, what happened to Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor is wrong, period. I am committed to continuing the important work of racial reconciliation in Georgia and in our nation. Uh, when you came out and made that statement, I was like, okay, because most times people who are in political power, they don't wanna draw that line in the sand and be held accountable. And so my question for you is, is just knowing where we are, tell us about your efforts in the Ahmaud Arbery case and why you ultimately had to step up in the case and to do what you eventually did by pulling their jurisdiction off of it. Absolutely. Well, number one, it's in our backyard. You know, the Ahmaud Arbery case happened in, in Brunswick and I was actually tagged on Facebook on May the 5th with the video that came out. And I mean, guys, it's like everybody else, anyone else of, of, of goodwill, every other human being that I know, they were, I was repulsed by it. 
you're sickened by it. And here it is, it's happening in, in Georgia. But again, the first thing that, that kind of came to my mind is no, this is not, this is not my Georgia. This is not our Georgia. Um, you know, we need to do something about it. And I want to commend Governor Brian Kemp. I want to commend GBI Director Vic Reynolds. Again, once the state was made aware of the video, and some folks, I'll tell you what, Takeo, too. Some folks have said, well, that, that the video, it took the video coming out for folks to, to be aware of it. Well, I say, thankfully, thank heaven that video came out. We did see with our own eyes what happened. And it was horrific. And so from the minute the state was made aware of it, that night on, on May the 5th, the GBI director, Vic, Vic Reynolds, reached out to the, to the uh, district attorney to see if, if any help was needed. The district attorney asked the GBI for help, which is the right thing to do. Within 12 hours, the GBI is in the ground, uh, is on the ground in, in Glen County. And within 36 hours of being on the ground, an arrest was made, which was the right thing to do. And as I've said from the very beginning, I've said it to members of the community. I've, I've said it to uh, Ahmad's mom. We need to know what happened from February 23rd till that video came out on May 5th. And that's why we've asked the U.S. Attorney's Office to look into the communications and the actions of the first two district attorneys. We've asked the GBI to do the same because more eyes are better looking on this than fewer. And uh, we just need to make sure that justice is done and justice will be done if we can learn the facts. Do you feel an increase of the responsibilities when you have to come in and take on cases like this that typically you don't start out taking on? Yeah, I do. And on a human level, I just I feel a responsibility. Um, again, when you see what you, you saw with your own eyes and, I, and, and again, there's an investigation going on, so I don't want to go you know, too much into it. But when you see what you saw as a human being, if you have an ability to do something, you want to do it. Um, and that was kind of the, the sense that I had. And I, and I look, I appreciate it. There were three, you know, we had the first two DAs that had a conflict issue. The third DA uh, that I mentioned that asked the GBI to come in, smaller office, uh, didn't have the resources. When he originally took the case, it was kind of at one stage. And then after the video came out, it was at another. So we asked Joyette Holmes of the Cobb County District Attorney's Office if she and her office would take the case, and they did. And Joyette is a prosecutor. She was a defense attorney, but she's a judge and has a great reputation that her office could handle it. So their office is actually handling the prosecution of the three individuals that have been charged with Ahmad's killing. We've asked the GBI to look into the actions of the other DAs as well. And so there, there are ongoing investigations that are going on. But number one, first and foremost, it's got to be about Ahmad. A, a human being, a fellow human being lost his life that day. And every single human being has dignity and value and worth, and he deserves it. I think one of the things that our audience may not be familiar with is, is your role as attorney general is to ensure that all civil rights of all citizens in your jurisdiction is uh, are being met, you know, that the laws are being honored and, and, and abided by. Um, just briefly talk about what your office is committed to doing to ensure that black uh, Americans in Georgia are actually receiving the same civil liberties, civil rights that other uh, people in Georgia are receiving. I represent all Georgians, Republicans, Democrats, independents, people that like politics, people that don't like politics. And so 
my job as the attorney general is to take whatever the laws have been passed by the legislature, signed by the governor, put into effect, is to make sure that the fair application of the law occurs. That means irrespective of, of any characteristic, what does the law say in the state of Georgia? That's what my responsibility is. The law needs to change. We've got a great process for that. Go to the legislature. The legislative branch changes the laws. And, and look, right now, uh, there are a lot of, of peaceful protests that are going on. People are voicing their opinions. They're debating the issues. Uh, and then their elected officials have the responsibility in the legislative branch to, to evaluate those. But whatever is duly passed by the legislature and signed by the governor, that's our job to do. And all we do is look at the words on the page. We don't look at anybody's face. We don't look at anybody's name. We don't look at anybody's gender, their sexual orientation, where they're from. The law is the law. What the words on the page are matters. And the fair application of the law matters as well. And I say, look, my duty is to do three things. Defend the Constitution of the United States, the Constitution and laws of the state of Georgia, and represent the interests of the people of our state. At the end of the day, I am responsible to the people, all 10.5 million Georgians in this state. They afford me this opportunity to serve as their attorney general. And the only way to do it is fairly and appropriately and abiding by the rule of law. That's the system that we have set up. And it's one that's important. And it absolutely should provide equal protection for all of our state citizens. And I commend you, Attorney General, for, for all the work that you do. Um, just doing our research before this interview, uh, you, you've been on record supporting things that maybe some of your constituents may not support, including the, the, the Anti-Lynching Act. Um, I guess, how do we move now? Because it's been on the book for a while, but how do we move now from support uh, to action and from action to pass legislation? Get on the phone, send emails to Congress. It, it, it really is shocking to me that we have never been able to pass an anti-lynching bill. And Senator Tim Scott and others are working on it, and I commend him for the job that he has done. Uh, it passed the United States Senate. It went to the House, and it got changed a little bit, and it's come back, and that's okay. That's how the process works. The Senate and the House are two different bodies. But it's important that they come together find common ground and, and, and finally pass this piece of legislation. And, and again, uh, I've been in contact with Senator Scott and we've been in contact with his office and, and I really think his approach is, is, is spot on. Um, but again, I mean, I, I think it's important. It, it's important historically. And, and I'll tell you, you, we, you mentioned earlier and I mentioned the trust initiative and if y'all would love, give me a minute to, to kind of talk about how that started. Absolutely. Um, I, I think it's 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 an interesting story, and it goes back to this issue of lynching. And a couple of years ago, one of our political reporters had, had asked me about a monument to Dr. King on Stone Mountain and what I supported. And I said, absolutely, I support it. Again, big history buff. I don't know why we wouldn't honor Dr. King. You know, he gave the single most important civil rights speech in American history. It mentioned Stone Mountain for, again, for a number of different reasons that you got to understand. But it was given by a guy that grew up 15 miles down the road. I mean, why would we not honor him? So I said, absolutely. And first statewide Republican elected official in Georgia to, to endorse the idea. I got a call shortly after that from the chief of police from LaGrange, Georgia, a guy by the name of Lou Deckmar, just a great guy. And Lou said he wanted to come see me because he had this project that he wanted to talk to me about. So he comes and he sits down and he said, Chris, um, and this would have been probably 2018, maybe end of 2018. But anyway, he said a year earlier in 2017, 
he had a police officer come into his office and said that there were two African-American women that women that were out in the lobby of the police station. And one of them had looked up and pointed at one of the former police chiefs and said, they killed our people. So the police officer came to, to talk to Lou, told him that. Lou said, well, what did that mean? And he said, I don't know. So Lou did some research. What he found out was in 1940, a young man by the name of, uh, of Austin Calloway was lynched. And at best, the LaGrange Police Department didn't help search for him. At worst, it may have been part of it. And so Lou did this research and he found out what happened and he found out the role that his police department played. And Austin was found about seven or eight miles outside of town. Well, Lou had decided he was going to call a, a public meeting and he went to the church where Austin went in 1940. And he had about two or three hundred people there. And he got up and he said, I'm sorry, I apologize for the role that our office played in Austin Callaway's lynching. So Lou had been the former head of the International Association of Chiefs of Police, the Georgia Association of Chiefs of Police, and they were partnering with the John Jay Institute and a, a nonprofit in Mississippi that does racial reconciliation and said, hey, we want to start this program with 10 police departments in Georgia where we acknowledge history and we bring people together to talk about injustices that have done that been done to racial minorities and how we move forward. And he asked me to give the keynote speech, which I did last May. And so we've been working on that project now and we're working on getting it funded so that that not only can the seven or ten that originally started, but more police departments. Why? Because we have a history in Georgia of solving tough problems. We have dealt with we are the foundation and the birthplace of the civil rights movement. Dr. King and so many others. This is, I think, important for us to continue that tradition. And at this moment, where police community relations are strained at best to be able to have this program where people can come together to talk and solve problems in a meaningful and real and lasting way is important. And so we're still working on that. That is, that was one of the things Takio I had mentioned in my, in my statement, this is the kind of constructive dialogue that we need to have because we need to make sure that what happened to George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery doesn't happen again. Now, and Ahmaud it wasn't with a uh, current police officer, but one of the gentlemen had been a former police officer. And one of the reasons I'm so passionate about this, and I think you can appreciate this too, is because again, having a daughter and, and, and why I got involved in human trafficking and elder justice was I can't imagine the fear that those girls or those elderly folks that are abused are feeling. And you know what? I cannot imagine the fear that Ahmaud Arbery felt coming around that pickup truck. And I can't mm. imagine the fear that George Floyd felt when he was on the street in Minneapolis. It's the same thing. On a, I may not have the same life experience as either one of those gentlemen or you guys, but as a human being, I most certainly can appreciate that fear. And at the core, our constitutional principles are freedom from fear. Fear of the government telling me how to practice my religion or how to what speech I should give or who I can associate with. Freedom from fear. That's what it is all about. And I can't imagine what it, and that's why I'm passionate. So when I find groups that are wanting to do something good, that want to bring folks, because we've almost forgotten how to talk with each other. We talk at each other sometimes and we it, it, the temperature has been turned up so much. Let's turn it down. 
and let's learn from one another and let's make a lasting difference. There's no doubt. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, so that's how the trust initiative started. And that's why I'm so passionate about it. No, because I, I, I agree with you. One of the things you just said is we don't know how to, we have a tendency to start more so talking at each other versus talking to each other. And you talked about the trust initiative, how it was started. And the hope and the goal I know is to not only to create dialogue, but to be able to bridge that gap and make communities feel more safe. And that's one of the things that when you look at it overall, and just to be completely honest, if you're black and you live in America and you've seen what has happened over the previous months, we feel like we're not safe, especially when you get stopped. And you talked about the officer who got up and apologized and said, you know what? I'm sorry that this happened. I'm sorry that the right discipline wasn't taking place. And so when we look at these things and moving forward, my question to you, uh, we know a lot of officers, the impunity. And is the trust initiative, the impunity meaning is so many barriers to where officers, officers are not held accountable. And that seems to be the thing that a lot of people, including myself, are just going crazy and livid about. So when you look at the trust initiative and you say, yes, we've started in 10 counties, if, if I haven't mistaken you, but do you look at this as something that you would look to extend all over the state and how soon if you are? It, it would be great if we could. We're trying to fundraise now because, you know, you got to be able to have the resources to be able to bring folks together and, and, and want to be able to pay for uh, the different police departments to be able to come. But yes, with the resources, I am. I, I firmly believe that this is the vehicle. This is the platform for communities to be able to get together for, and, 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 and guys, it goes beyond community and police in LaGrange, Georgia, they've actually created the racial trust initiative, which is the mayor, the police chief, head of the NAACP members of the community where it goes beyond police issues. It's just issues in general. And so we know this can work. So yes, from, from the trust initiative, as with so many things, it, it ends up being a resource issue. But if we can get the, the, the resources together, then yes, that more police departments can come together, more communities can come together, uh, you know, and this is it. And, and I really, and again, yet again, from again, I'm, you, you know, Takeo, I know you were born in Augusta from, and played in Washington County. And, 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 you know, this is a, this is a, this is a chance for Georgia to again, take the lead and be a leader to show the model for how it can be done. Do you ever feel tension having to uh, process, prosecute and, and go after some of the, the state uh, police agencies? I mean, that kind of has to be difficult with the fact that you actually work with them on a daily basis. It's a good question. So I mentioned that we're the lawyers for the executive branch of state government. So we would actually be the lawyers for the state patrol. Sheriffs in Georgia are constitutionally separate. They're elected uh, by the people of, of their county. Uh, police departments are a creature of generally the cities, but sometimes the counties. So, and district attorneys in Georgia are also constitutionally separate. And in Georgia, district attorneys are the ones that take the lead on most criminal activity in the state. We have criminal jurisdiction on a few things like human trafficking, 
But public corruption is one. So if it was an issue of public corruption, it would be something that we could do. But to answer the question, as I tell our team and ask our team, take the name out of it. Was the law violated? That's just what I want to know. Don't I mean, just did somebody break the law or did they not? That's the key on any issue, whether it you know doesn't matter who it involves or what involves as, as far as our office. Did somebody break the law? Take the name out of it. That that should be irrelevant. The point is, what does the law say and was the law followed? But that to me would be the calculus that we take when we're looking at issues. And I, I want to ask this question just simply due to. Uh, I mean, we know criminal prosecution, but what other options besides that are available to hold the police accountable when they are clearly at fault? As you look at George Floyd, he was murdered. And um, even though Ahmaud Arbery, he used to work for the department. But what, what other options are there to be able to have that accountability? Sure. I, there's a couple of different ways, I think, too, uh, Takeo. One is, is again, was a criminal law violated? And yes, there have been challenges. And again, and I know part of why we're trying to investigate is we're trying to figure out what happened, you know, between February 23rd and May the 5th as it relates to that particular case. So the question of will a police department charge, will a, will a district attorney or a prosecutor bring a case? But yes, criminal charges can be brought. And if somebody's broken the law, again, it, 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 should, it, it shouldn't matter who they are. Uh, that should that should be a function of what should be done. The other thing in Georgia is is we have an agency that certifies police officers, um, and it's it's called Post, and they can look into the actions of police officers to make sure that it was done uh, the right way. And, and you know, the way that I've kind of looked at this too is I've said this, um, uh, you know, it, it is not just to put your knee on the throat of a fellow human being until he or she dies. It is also not just to shoot a police officer on Facebook Live who's protecting his friend's store. It is not just to see a young black man running through your neighborhood and presuming he's a criminal. And it is not just to presume that every police officer is racist. And so the, you got to look at the facts of, of what has happened and hold people accountable. And maybe there, you know, I, I have yet to talk to a police officer that says putting your knee on the throat of the person that is in custody is appropriate. Not one person has said that. Don't know what the training is in, in Minneapolis and they may be looking at it, but absolutely looking at training, absolutely having these conversations. And, and what we've seen, one of the police departments uh, here in, in Metro Atlanta has opened up what's called Operation Transparency, and they're talking about their training program and how they do things and getting more public input. But, you know, again, I go back to that we live in a social media world where there's a lot of video and there's a, a lot being seen, and that's a game changer. Should it have been that way? Maybe not. But look, again, thank heaven there is a lot of video out there that we've been able to see because it does it does allow and put pressure on holding folks accountable where it should be. And if somebody did something wrong, the video will show it. If, if somebody didn't, it will that as well. And then again, there's, that's also why you investigate. You want to get to the facts. Mm -hmm. That's how you get to justice is to get all of the facts, not opinions, facts. 
Attorney General Carr, you've done some tremendous work uh, in your tenure now as Attorney General. Where would you like to see Georgia go the remaining years that you do have in office? You know, it, you mentioned we were, we've been the number one state in the nation in which to do business. We are growing leaps and bounds. You know, folks want to move to Georgia. Like I said, Atlanta, you've got Savannah, and you've got other places. I want to continue to make sure that this is a state where businesses want to locate and families want to locate and people feel safe and they feel secure. We have a lot good history to build on as it relates to how we solve problems. We're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. But I think we've got a great record that we can build on because I do want people to still see that Georgia does it differently. And we all, and we have not perfect, but we've done it differently. And so, but that takes everybody coming together. And that is how we've done it economically is by bringing together the private sector and the public sector and, 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 solving those problems and that's what i want us to be known for going forward on whatever it may be because we do it we're a great state we're a great state uh and we've got some great universities and we have some great football programs too takia <laughs> look chris before we let you go um i would i would like to ask you this and 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 this is really a message it's not only for me, but I'm a citizen of Georgia, born and raised. Yeah. But what would be your message to all Georgians, especially uh, people of color, minorities, black Georgians, to let them know you talked about we have this opportunity to take advantage and show the other states if it can be done here, it can be done everywhere. What would be, I would say, your words of your words of confidence? to the fellow Georgians out there to let them know that regardless of whatever may happen, if it's in Atlanta or even if it's in South Georgia, that we are going to uphold a standard and make sure that we be the leader, leaders and be proactive versus being retroactive. You know, I think, look at, look at what we've done. Again, look at our, again, I'm a big history buff. So look at our history, look at, where we've been, look at how we've gotten to where we are. What I think is important is when we see problems, we say something about it. And then we do something about it. And in a genuine fashion, and that's what I think is important, those three kind of cornerstones, whatever you see an issue is, identify the problem, do something about the problem, be genuine about it. And I think that's there, there is a reason why Atlanta is Atlanta. And, there, you know, and it goes back decades. We are a welcoming state. We are a welcoming city. We have a rich culture and history of doing things together. And we're going to continue to do it. And just look at what has happened over the last seven to 10 days. Look how the city of Atlanta and the state uh, have worked together. Look at talking about ways that look at the protection of peaceful protests. Again, look at Look at the involvement of peaceful protest. You know, there is a, a, a tradition and a respect for what our history has been. And that is change. And we, when change is needed, um, we've seen, you know, over decades 
that there is there is a peaceful protest and it, it has it has resulted it has, it has resulted in results for lack of a better way of saying it so look at the way we've done it in the past continue to engage and be a part of it going forward uh all georgians all 10.4 million georgians because we have something to be proud of as a state and and we're going to continue to do it Attorney General Carr, you are off the hot seat, man. Thank you for your time. <laughs> we appreciate you going behind the mask with this. Guys, thank you all so very much for having me on. I greatly appreciate it. Hope your families and you stay safe and well. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of the Behind the Mask podcast with Attorney General Chris Carr. Be sure to engage and follow us on social media at the BTM podcast and subscribe anywhere you get your podcast content. Baby, baby. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.